0: So everything I'm working on right now is all geared towards taking the art out of machining, meaning that when I first learned this industry and first learned uh, machining, that there seemed to be these hidden like tricks on how to do stuff. And one person in the shop, one person in the state, one person in the country would know how to do this one special thing.
1: This is SWARFCAST. I'm Noah Graff. Our guest on the show today is Ben York, an inventor and consultant for machining companies. I spoke to Ben at the 2019 Precision Machining Technology Show, where he was presenting his perfect zero alignment system. The system uses a camera installed on a CNC machine to set coordinates and align and set tooling Ben said his mission is to make machining easy enough for an unskilled person to be a useful worker almost immediately. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.grafpinkert.com. That's www.g-r-a-f-f-p-i-n-k-e-r-t.com. We are pleased to have Ben York of Theory 168 on the podcast. Welcome to Swarfcast, Ben. Thanks. Thanks. I feel good about being here. I met Ben at the PMTS show in Cleveland, and uh, he had some really interesting inventions, and so I said I had to interview him. So first... uh, Describe the thing that, that you brought to the show, one of your, your main products that you're promoting.
0: Yep. So my, my biggest product I'm promoting right now is my Perfect Zero camera system. And what that is, is a camera that goes inside of a CNC machine to set work coordinates and to align and set tooling. Most importantly, and it works the best to uh, align and set tooling in Swiss machines. Okay. And how does this differ from, say, a regular presetter? Or yep. So right now, the existing devices on a on a regular CNC might be a probe, a edge finder. Um, are pretty much the two big ones that you may use on a or an indicator, probably. On a Swiss machine, we do everything by either touching the tools off of the material, or we might use like an indicator or whatnot to align the machine or align the tools. Okay. And this, you, what's the, what is the secret sauce? So a big part of it is is we've never been able to before to look at the position of the tooling right at the point of cut. So the tooling is approximate or the camera uh, focuses on the tooling approximately a hundred thousandths away from the face of the guide bushing, which is right where the tools would actually cut when they're running. So now we can look at exactly where they are um, in comparison to where the center of the guide bushing is at and align them perfectly
1: okay and um, you told me oh, what was it it was something about I was talking about replacing people you were talking about uh, it takes the th- the thinking out of it is that what you were talking it about it
0: takes the art out of it So it takes the art out of it yeah. explain what that means so everything I'm working on right now is all geared towards taking the art out of machining meaning that when I first learned this industry and first learned uh, machining, that there seemed to be these hidden like tricks on how to do stuff, and one person in the shop, one person in the state, one person in the country would know how to do this one special thing. And to me, that is always blew my mind. So I kind of took it upon myself to start trying to dive into these certain types of uh, scenarios and figure out what I could do so everybody could do it, meaning that um, a lot of the shops I train at and work at um, would, would definitely, they all have the problem of trying to find people. So I kinda uh, relate it to the analogy of, is this process strong enough? Is what we're doing easy enough and simple enough that we could stop a bus going by the front of the shop and ask if anybody wants to work that day? <laughs> Those people could come into the shop and work and be brought into the process. More importantly, that allows for the people that are really experienced on the floor to work on things other than troubleshooting.
1: Okay. So then you're basically trying to make there be more unskilled jobs.
0: Um, You know, I've never really thought about it that way. <laughs> I guess I the way I'm thinking about it is I've been a troubleshooter, and I've been in a troubleshooter in frustrating situations before where you have five or six people coming at you with problems that if they had a little bit more experience, they would have been able to solve on their own. Or if they had the right types of tools um, given to them, they might have been able to solve on their own. So, to what's, me, your, what's your background? It's machining since age four. So, my dad started a shop when I was really young. What kind of shop? It was first a wood shop, and then it um, he built a, a second division of it that turned into a machine shop. Okay. So, what kind of machines? So, he had all milling machines at that point, and then um, CNC milling machines, and then manual lathes.
1: Okay. And so, you we four and you grew up around the shop and you were just indoctrinated in it.
0: I went out there and never found my
1: way out. <laughs> and uh, how old are you now? I am 42 now. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then what happened? You started... Uh, working in the shop, and then you went to school for
0: engineering, or? So I I worked in the shop and uh, had some other jobs uh, along the way, but um, then when I turned 18, I went to machine, got my machine tool degree in Madison, Wisconsin. Love it, that's where I went to school. Oh, nice, way cool. Um, What does that mean, a machine tool degree? So that was at the uh, Technical College. MATC? Yep, MATC in Madison. it was a great school, great program, great teachers. And uh, they really laid some strong foundation for me in the, in a more formal way of learning machining. And then from there, um, I got a really huge opportunity to come up to Minnesota and do a, a apprenticeship program at Remley Engineering. And everything kinda just stemmed from there. I, What's Remley Engineering? They were a company before they were purchased several times um, that is also a, a large machine shop, multiple divisions. Um, and then they had a formal uh, four-year apprenticeship program.
1: Okay. And, okay, so then you were there and you were became a production manager or?
0: Um, I got, it, so uh, a lot of floor uh setup work and prototype and um, process development and then that uh, evolved into a um, engineering technician job and then um, I did that um, just under 10 years and then from there I uh, got a uh, took a job at um, productivity as an applications engineer in their citizen area.
1: What's productivity?
0: Productivity is a machine tool distributor in, in Minnesota in the Midwest. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then,
1: after that, is that when theory one sixty eight started?
0: yeah, so i uh left there in two thousand nine and um started the uh consulting for different businesses and that in the beginning, the consulting really was kind of twofold with a fill in machinist so on call type of thing and then um and then it also was the training, so I would help train on all kinds of varieties of equipment, milling machines, uh, lathes and and obviously Swiss. Okay.
1: And um so yeah, what did that entail if you were training people?
0: Yep. So um it was all customized. So I would go in, meet with the customer, they would tell me what types of problems they were having. Um and then I would use my experience to come up with a plan on how to uh, train their group to hopefully not run into these problems in the future, or figure out better ways to get around them. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then, then what? So uh, that turned into um, a lot of different types of process development work, and um, still basically hands on on the machines. And around 2014, 2016. Um, I really had a, a push uh, to um, start developing all the products that I wanted to develop. And I had a pretty big list of them that I wanted to work on. And I started really spending some time on researching what would be the best place to start at. And um, originally I started with ejectors for the subspindles of, of Swiss machines. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought, Because that was always something I wanted to purchase when I was in engineering. And um, I could never find them. Nobody ever made them or sold them. So I thought that would be the fuel for my business. So what did you do with the ejectors? Uh, I didn't sell a whole lot of them. (laughs) So what it turned into is a really big business learning experience. And I spent a lot of money on inventory and building up the product and try to market it on my own. And it didn't go anywhere. And I quickly started getting the understanding that um, I should probably work uh, on my next dream. What's the next dream? The next dream uh, was a couple different things, but it ended up uh being the camera was the next thing that really started evolving and um that i was able to pursue and it just started unfolding in front of me all the pieces were coming together um and um it 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 uh became real that i can make this work so when you started
1: inventing this what I'm trying to visualize this. Are you on your, your like your living room floor and you are at a workbench and then you just take out a camera and you well you constructed this like mini Swiss machine, which we can show in a video. Mm-hmm. And you just start programming, tinkering. gimme how does how does
0: this happen? So First, it was the idea. Or is it a secret? No, no. No, I'm I'm willing to open up about it. So uh, the first part of it was just researching because I've had a lot of dreams in my life, and I've had a lot of dreams that I started to chase that didn't pan out, you know? So I've gotten fairly good, I think, at knowing how far to go in before I know I need to go out, you know? And (laughs) with this, I'm thinking, you know, boy, this is a, this is really shooting for the stars. I better be careful because I could invest a lot of money. And I got to a certain point in the research and the development of the product. And you're right. I was sitting on basically my office floor in my house or on the floor of my living room many, many days and nights. Uh, cause I was also doing this while I was consulting. It was the only way I could afford it. Sure. And, um, so I was doing all this development and um it just started snowballing and at one point it was looking like I have made too much investment without any without the amount of success that I needed. Can you
1: tell me how much you invested? You don't have to. Um
0: it's over six it's six digits plus. So Okay. Yeah. Um the uh at that point I decided that I need to I need to make a decision and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go all the way. If I go all the way down, well, that's the way it is. At least in the end, I know I tried. And from that point, I never looked back and I did everything I needed to do to make it happen.
1: How many hours a day do you work on it or did you?
0: So at the time, I was full-time consulting and that's generally 8 to 12 hours a day. And then I get home and work anywhere from 2 to 6 or 8 on that. It was really my hobby. so um, you know, depending on what I had going on in the day, um, this is what I'd do at night or or you know, eventually some days I'd take off during the day. In this same time, I uh, started to build a shop at home. So I renovated my garage and I bought some equipment and I moved it in there, and that really excelled the prototyping process because I was able to make my own parts, try things, figure out what was gonna work the best. Re-engineer and just keep on going through that process. And how long did it take
1: you before you came up with uh, what you're showing at the PMTS
0: show? So that started about, I'd say about a year and a half, two years ago, I was really on the design that looked a lot like what I have now. And I was just starting to build up some inventory, just started getting my first sales. and Oh, you s- sold these? Oh, yeah. I was selling them very slowly. I would have to go to a place, get into a place, go there, show it to them, and then go through the whole process of the sale, which really takes one to three months depending on the customer. So at that point, I was starting to ramp up some inventory, I was starting to ramp up some sales, but nothing significant at all. Then um, in December 15th, 2018, uh, my shop burned down.
1: Your shop? Yeah. Like your house with
0: your... Not my house. It was separate, but my garage that had all my inventory, all my equipment, all everything. <laughs> it burned down. Okay. Did you have some kind of backup? No. No. Nope. So... But
1: you had some that were in a shop somewhere. Somebody had bought one.
0: I had that, yes. I had that going for me. I had everything documented on my computer. You know, None of my computer data was lost. Um, you know, I had all the solid models. I wasn't like I had to start back over, but in a way, when you're producing a product that you gotta manufacture, and you lose the equipment to manufacture it, it felt like starting over. And then just the blow of getting that happened to me. <laughs> so how long ago was that? Uh, it was December 15th, 2018, so a year ago. A little over a year year and a half, I guess now. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so so then what? So then uh I don't know, it knocked me down pretty hard and by the middle of January I started getting No, uh, beginning of January, I started getting back up again. And I'm like, you know what, I, I gotta I'm, I'm doing this. I'm doing this all the way to the end, no matter what. I don't care what gets in my way. Now it was like really getting solidified that nothing is going to stop me from this. So um, uh, I got a hold of my dad and he helped me come. Uh, he came up and helped me uh, clean up the garage and we took everything out of there that was- At your parents' house? No, at my house. Oh, at your he house. He came up to my house and helped me clean up the situation the best we could and um at the same time I started uh redesigning everything and so when, the fire caused you to redesign everything yes yep so I wow. redesigned
1: it all and so the fire is partly uh, is a good thing in the end
0: yeah looking back at it for one it solidified that I'm not turning around you know I think if if anything else that was the biggest benefit second was part of that turning around and getting back on my feet um, that I'm going to fix and do all the things I've been wanting to do I'm going to just draw them up because I don't have any machines I can't do anything else right now because I might have to have some other place make these for me and that's pretty expensive and um, between those two things uh, that got me really close to what you see today it virtually looks the same Wow. After that, I, uh, I contacted uh, somebody I was a customer that I was doing work with in Upper Minnesota. And I went up there for several weeks and made all the first sets of parts, the first run of, of what I have today.
1: Listeners, do you have an idea for a future episode of Swarfcast? Or is your company interested in advertising on the Swarfcast podcast? If so, please send us an email at swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. That's swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. And and then you're in the Gen Swiss booth, the Genevieve Swiss booth. Yes. So did you know those guys? or
0: I've known of them for many years because I've used them being in the Swiss industry. Always liked their products. Always thought they're innovative. Thought at times maybe they might even be a competitor of mine. And I uh, um, I knew of them, but they weren't in my sights to be the my exclusive distributor like they are right now. So at that point, I was still doing this all on my own. So now I'm running into a new problem where to actually sell this product I really need to be a full-time salesperson and a manufacturer and a business owner and it was starting to be a lot to do it sounds impossible not impossible but but not
1: not intelligent
0: yeah and there was no it wasn't successful and it wasn't very efficient like I wasn't very good at any one thing so So I started trying to get smarter about how I was going about this and thinking about it. And one thing I've learned with doing all this, that nothing happens at once. It's all incremental. Like you got to chip away at it. You get a little piece here, you get a little piece there. Over time, a bunch of those pieces might come together that you never expected. And now that's what you're going with and that's working well. Or you get a break from somebody. I got a lot of breaks while I went through this. A lot of people, there's some core people that really helped me get to where I'm at now.
1: So, you went to Genevieve Swiss and you said, uh, you showed them your product and they said this is something that seems like it's a good fit for us to distribute?
0: Yes. Yep. And then at that point... Um,
1: what is Genevieve Swiss mainly? What's their their specialty for people who don't know who they are?
0: I'd say looking from the outside, their specialty is Swiss machining product, a uh, tooling. And... Um, And all kinds of specialty tools that you wouldn't normally see at other places. That's not your generic style tooling that you might see from some of the big box manufacturers. It's specifically designed for Swiss people. So um, everybody that's running Swiss machines out there knows that there's there's tools that fit right. And there's tools then we got to modify or don't fit so right. Gen Swiss tools, they fit right. And they're really geared towards setup reduction like everything they got if you really look at it closely it's geared towards reducing your setup time which is what you're all about it's what i'm all about so it seemed like a really good fit for me from there um they invited me to go to p.m. or uh, imts in chicago last fall and it just exploded from there last fall And so, how many of these have you sold? Um, Over three digits. Three digits plus, let's put it that way. And how much do they cost? Um, For the standard kit, which is our half-inch or 12-millimeter kit, um, that is just under $5,000. And basically, that entails everything you need to uh, check and align and set tools on the guide bushing and on the sub spindle in a Swiss machine. So it includes like the computer that's got the software on it. It includes the box to put everything in, all the cords, and it even has a service tray that I'm pretty excited about that you can move right up to the machine and adjust to the height to put the computer on, which is pretty, doesn't seem that significant, but it's pretty key when you're using it to get everything at the right eye level and to be able to use it efficiently.
1: Okay, and for the listeners, we're going to have a video or two on the site and you'll be able to see everything he's talking about. Um, You're pretty bullish on uh, the machining business right now?
0: I'd say I think it's probably the best I've ever seen it from my perspective.
1: I mean, it seems good. There's a lot of enthusiasm at the show. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, you plan to ship this. I mean, there really isn't anything like this, right?
0: Correct. Correct. I, uh, I am the only one that I know of that has a visual system that can go into a Swiss machine and look at the tools at the point of cut. We also have a new software update that allows for um, setup validation, meaning that we have a way that we take a picture of the tool What after you set it in the proper spot. We tie the position of the machine to that tool. We timestamp when it happened to the operator that did it and put it all in a PDF so we can look at it at a future date. We've never been able to take it to that level before.
1: And is this only for Swiss machines or can you adopt this for everything? You could adopt this for everything.
0: There's a bigger plan here that I'm working on that I'm going to be launching soon that will all tie into my my bigger vision of what this was a piece of. What's the bigger
1: vision? Are you, or you have we'll to keep, keep, keep that? we call it Tool Life.
0: It's called Tool Life. And what it is is it's a software that pulls all kinds of different aspects together like we've never had before. Anything else you want to
1: talk about? Or it sounds sounds like this is the, that that sounds like the, the master plan.
0: It is. So that's everything to this date today. I've got a lot of new things coming out. Um, I'd like to invite people to hopefully this podcast in the future, we could do more. It'd be fun that we could do something new in the future. Every time I got something new, because I'm not working on things that I feel that aren't revolutionary. And there's certain things from the understanding of what I've seen in the industry that I feel that there's ways that we can make this easier and less, a lot less frustrating. Because dang, when it comes down to it, so this machining can be frustrating sometimes. Okay, so you've been a consultant. What are you?
1: What are the other things that you see um, as big innovations and or huge frustrations as well?
0: So maybe starting with the frustrations, I think the biggest thing is, is When we work on things and they work one time and they don't work another, okay? So unfortunately with machining, it's a variable process. It's uh, right out of the gate, it's a variable process, which at that point, everything's constantly changing. Well, then we get in the machine shop and From machine to machine, things can change, from operator to operator, from setup to setup. And um, everything I'm working on is geared towards trying to make that better, which in the big picture kind of stems from the name, the Theory 168, which is- Yeah, why do you call it Theory 168? I spent, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked me. I spent six months on coming up with that name. (laughs) I I worked so hard on coming up with that name. And part of it, the first part is theory, and that stems from Theory X, which is a management style where you believe in getting the information from the ground up in your company to grow your company. So you're asking the people that mop the floor about what they think. And one thing I've seen in a lot in industry is there's not enough upper management that gathers information from the from the operation level. The operation level truly knows what's going on from the technical side of the business.
1: If you have good people
0: well, that care. Um, anybody that's willing to give information, it's worth looking into that information, not putting any value on them or not. I, So I meet a lot of people, I'm in a lot of businesses each year and I see a lot of different situations and I can't tell you how many times I'm brought in to try to make things better, and I quickly find out within the first couple hours of being there that the floor already had these answers, you know, (laughs) without me bringing up anything at all. And unfortunately, upper management didn't listen to them. And that's that's, it's low-hanging fruit to me. Um, Sometimes it needs a liaison to introduce such as yourself, such as myself. I consider that a success. Go into a company six hours later, let them know what the floor has to say, and that I agree with it. There we go. That's good enough for me. But that would. um, Well, maybe it's an
1: easier way for people to save face or do it politically.
0: Mm -hmm. And they get the backup of somebody else agreeing with it.
1: Yeah, Yeah, sure. It's a lot. Right. It's different if they just go to the people in the shop floor and ask what do you guys think? And then go with it versus go ask a consultant and them mm-hmm. and kind of, so I I, I could see that. Okay. And so
0: machinists aren't always the best at selling themselves. So <laughs> that's a big thing too. And I know when, from me being on the floor full time, I get pretty emotionally charged up about it. This is my life. This is my passion. This is what I care about the most. And, um, you know, I want it always to be better. So... um you know that doesn't always come out the right way. You know if from that if that frustration is building up. So uh, that is definitely one thing I've helped with a lot of in a lot of companies is trying to trying to get that understanding and that sale of those ideas to. Do you miss management. that working um,
1: working with companies?
0: In a way, um, I don't miss uh, the idea of when they don't want to. They don't want. They want to grow, but they don't want to quite understand what the needs of growing are and what's holding them back. Um, Whereas when I'm fully in control of my own product or my own business, um, now I'm that person. Now I'm the person. Now you're the one that needs to be listening. Now I do. You have employees.
1: I do. I do. I have four. Four. Mm -hmm. All engineers.
0: Um, All kinds of different backgrounds.
1: Um, Okay. And then what was the thing you you said? You talked about the problems and then you said the things that are going right or the new innovation.
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, starting off with first the frustrations, uh, that seems like it pulls out things. Usually if I go into a shop, that's what I look for first, what's frustrating me the most or the hardest to get through my day. Um, But then the successes too. It seems like there's a lot of people, um, all operations uh, people have ideas about what to do and maybe they've tried it, maybe they're just waiting for the the budget to do this thing or not. I can't tell you how many people at these shows um, that I talk to that are operations people that are like, oh my gosh, I love this. We need this. Trying to get my supervisor to sign off on it is going to be impossible. And that is one funny thing that I run into in a lot of companies is there's a lot of middle management that doesn't seem to know how to spend money. There's places where we should and where we shouldn't. And it seems like more often than not, there's a lot of middle management that would rather opt to not spend money instead of risk the innovation. Because
1: they want to look good that they're they're saving money. Yeah.
0: To me, top companies in this country are innovating. And they're innovating from the operations group up. So that brings me to the second part of the name, and I think to, complete, to compete globally, we gotta stay up uh, to speed with technology, and we gotta stay up to speed uh, uh, from a cost standpoint. And the second way to do that is, we need to try to get 168 hours of utilization a week. It's so funny, I look at these places that are measuring utilization at a 40 hour work week. We have 168 hours a week, 7 times 24. Mm-hmm. And that's the second part of my name. So, 168.
1: You need to be... Uh, 168 hours a week, we need
0: to be innovative? We need to have the machinery running 168 hours a week. It's capable of it. Now, are we willing to make the investment to to have that happen?
1: Interesting. I like that.
0: Mm-hmm. We can't go. We can't get outside of that. So that's one. That's like a. That's a constraint that we'll never be able to break. So up till this point, the constraint at a lot of companies was forty to eighty hours a week. Well, that's not true. We have one hundred and sixty-eight. It's really truly the constraint, but we can't breach that. So now we've reached a limit. To me, efficiency should be based off of that.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Ben. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, everybody. First, we just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. It boosts our egos. And of course, your ears are the reason we do this. But it would be great if you could subscribe and leave a review, as it'll help other people discover it. Talk to you soon.